<coughs> Thanks to Levi and Sue and the choir for their help. And I understand what it's like when you don't feel like getting up and sing. <laughs> so thanks to Levi especially for what he did. But you don't always feel like this. Hard to imagine you won't feel like standing here, but there are days when you've been kicked in the shins enough and you say to yourself, wow, I don't feel like this. But God helps. And I do remember something that happened on a Mother's Day. And I have told you this story before, but I repeat it on Mother's Day because it was my mother's personal request to me on a Mother's Day when I was probably 9 or 10 years old. We were driving home from church. And my mother was talking about the sermon. And she said, I hate sloppy, sentimental Mother's Day sermons where they drool and cry over mom. And then she looked in the back seat and she said, if you ever get the chance, don't you ever do that. So you're not going to get no sloppy sermon about moms today. Because mom will whack me good. And she told me, don't ever do that. So it's not my intention to tell you a sloppy story about mom. But I can't help but tell one about her anyway. (laughs) Our text today is in Acts chapter 2. We're continuing our series about uh, what happened after the resurrection of Christ. And we're applying the resurrection to to what happened directly after that. And so we're in Acts chapter 2 today for our text on this Mother's Day. When I was five years old, my mother used to keep a chair between the stove and the kitchen counter. And I used to stand on that chair and watch Mom do some of her baking. My reason for standing on that chair, because there are certain things she would let me do to help. And when she was baking bread and the dough rise up, she'd let me punch it. And that was fun to punch it and see it deflate. And she threw me out. No more punching now. When mom made homemade donuts, she dropped them in the hot oil. One side was brown. She let me flip the donut over and cook the other side. So I stood on the chair, flipped the donuts, and helped mom Make those special donuts. I remember another time on the chair was a cold winter's day. And mom agreed to make me some hot chocolate. And when mom made it, it wasn't Nestle's quick either. It was made with chunks of baker's chocolate. Melted in a pan of milk. And it tasted good. The kitchen had a great big large pitcher window with a southern exposure. Over the sink. When the morning sun came up, it filled that kitchen with sunshine. And that particular winter morning, the sunshine was bright and lit up the whole kitchen. When the hot chocolate was ready, Mom poured it into a couple of mugs that she had sitting on the kitchen stove. And then she went to put the pan in the sink. I decided I'm going to grab my hot chocolate right away. And the bright sunshine made it so... I couldn't see the flame, and the burner was still lit. And standing on a chair, I reached over, 
or my mug of hot chocolate across the burner, and instantly my arm burst into flames. And I shouted, fire, fire! And Mom, thinking quickly, grabbed a sweater, and the back of the chair wrapped it around my arm and put, all, put out the fire. It all happened so fast. In one second, one, two, three, four, my arm was on fire. And I yelled, fire, fire. And in one second, one, two, three, four, mom put the fire out. So it was less than three seconds of burning, but that's all it took. And the whole bottom of my arm was burned severely. I wore a sling for three months. In those days, the doctor made house calls. Imagine that. And he came to see the burn. When he got there, he pulled out a great big pair of scissors. And I'm going to cut your arm. And he cut these big blister bubbles of liquid that swelled up on my arm. I expected it to hurt. But the skin was all dead and couldn't even feel the scissors as they cut off the blisters off my skin. There's still remnants of a scar on my arm. Three seconds of contact with the fire certainly left a permanent mark. So the lesson is learned. The slightest contact with fire may be felt for a long time. Last week, we talked about Jesus' plan to build a church. And the word he used was ecclesia, or a gathering of people. And he promised that that gathering of people would be able to stand against even the gates of hell. And we said step number one of Jesus' mission in coming to earth was to pay for our sins and purchase our pardon on Calvary's cross. Step number two was an amazing display of power as he rose from the dead and broke the power of sin and crushed the serpent's head. Then step number three, he would pour that life-giving power into that new church, that group of people that he was building. And so let us begin to see the birth of the new church, step number three, as it swings into full power. We're in Acts chapter number two. Now in Jesus' time, there were three special holidays on the Jewish calendar. Passover, the one we have just talked about, was one of those holidays. And it was on the Passover holiday that Jesus was crucified. On that holiday, people from all over the world came to celebrate in Jerusalem. There were two other holidays also celebrated with great joy as people flocked from all over to Jerusalem. First one was the Feast of Tabernacles. That was a fall harvest type celebration. And then the Feast of Pentecost was a spring celebration. And Pentecost was held 50 days after Passover. And so remember in your mind, as we try to count, uh, Jesus was crucified Friday on Passover. Three days later, of course, he rose from the grave. And then if we count the days, 40 days after that, Jesus gathered with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and ascended up to heaven, and they watched him go. And he reminded them just before he ascended, wait, 
wait. Go back to Jerusalem and wait until you are filled with power from on high. And so, there's ten days later, after he ascended to heaven, would be the Feast of Pentecost. Fifty days after Passover. Disciples are waiting in Jerusalem. They're gathered in what we call the upper room. That's the same place where Jesus held the Last Supper. Only now, there's 120 people in that upper room. 120 people who believed in Jesus, who had seen him after the resurrection, and they were waiting and waiting and waiting. You like to wait? (laughs) One day they waited, two days. They waited a whole week. Eight days. Nine days, and then on the calendar, it was Pentecost, ten days. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Notice carefully, they are gathered together in one place. Ecclesia, the group of people who believe in Jesus, a gathering of people in one accord, it says, that they are in perfect harmony because Jesus said to gather and wait. And so they are doing exactly what Jesus said to do, waiting. Verse 2, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as if a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit, that Jesus promised he would send, arrives on that day of Pentecost. But God does something very special to help those 120 people, and also to help us, to understand what was happening. Two signs are given, two examples, two manifestations, or more exactly, I would say, two pictures for the senses. Now, we all have senses. We've got five of them. Sight and touch and taste and smell and hearing. We've got eyes and nose and a mouth and ears and hands. And God gave us senses to help us perceive the world that's around us. However, God exists outside of our senses. Or in other words, we believe in someone we cannot see. We listen to someone we cannot hear. We love someone we cannot touch. And when the Bible teaches us to taste and see that the Lord is good, it expects us to use our imaginations as if when we experience God, we're tasting something very sweet and wonderfully delicious. And so it was on that day of Pentecost, God gave two things to the senses. For them and for us. First, it says there was a sound from heaven. Like a rushing 
mighty wind. And for the eyes, fire, flames that separated into little flames and rested on the 120 people in that room. Wind and fire. The ears and the eyes. The two senses we depend on the most to understand the world that's around us. So let's begin with the first one, the wind. Now it was not a gentle breeze like we have on a pleasant summer's evening. Oh no, it was a rushing wind. It was a mighty wind like you've heard maybe in a violent storm. Even here in western New York, we occasionally have rushing mighty winds. I remember one that came a couple of years ago. It was clocked at over 70 miles an hour. I was in my bed, and I heard it coming. It sounded like a freight train, stronger and stronger. Suddenly a great crack. Half of my giant maple tree in the front yard came crashing down the ground and shook the foundation of the house. That was a mighty wind. I recall another one, 70 miles an hour, and Matt Martin will remember this one because it peeled half the shingles off the church and it rolled the roofing off the house next door like it was peeling a banana. Powerful wind. Mighty rushing winds. The wind is something you can't see, but you know it's real, don't you? And so it is with God. You can't see God, but there is no doubt that he is real. Jesus told old Nicodemus that night, the wind blows wherever it wants to, you can't see it come or go. So it is with God. He comes and you can't see him, but you know he's real. The evidence is all around you just like wind. But there's more. A rushing mighty wind is something you can't control. It does whatever it wants to do and you can't stop it. I laugh at these idiots that think they can control the climate and the weather. Burn less fossil fuels will save the planet. Was there ever a bigger bunch of fools than those who think that they have control over climate and weather? Jesus and Jesus only spoke to the winds and said, Peace be still, and no one before or since has ever been able to do that. That rushing mighty wind comes. One thing is very clear. You have no control over it. And so God sent a sound. A rushing mighty wind. My friends, God isn't a weak or casual force. He's a rushing mighty wind. You can't control Him. You can't tell Him what to do. He's a force that's not to be trifled with, a power that cannot be resisted. And when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, He came with power and strength, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, a rushing and mighty wind, and a great uncontrollable power. And then it says there was fire. God had often used fire to communicate who He was. On Mount Sinai, God came down with smoke and fire to talk to Moses. On Mount Carmel, 
God sent fire on Elijah's sacrifice so hot that it even melted the stones. That was a hot fire. And now on Pentecost, God sent fire into that upper room. Fire has an intensity like no other force. One, two, three seconds of contact and you're scarred for life. What does it mean? What would the fire do? Well, Jesus had explained that in the very same upper room that they were in on the night before he was crucified. And I'm going to read to you from John chapter number 16 as Jesus explains what the Holy Spirit will do. John 16 and verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would reprove the world to reprove. The dictionary says to point out, to persuade that you are wrong, to rebuke to convict. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to point out and persuade us of three things, Jesus said. Number one, righteousness. There is a right and there is a wrong and you don't get to decide what it is. Number two, sin. You did something wrong. And number three, judgment. There is a penalty. There are consequences for doing something wrong. And that's why the Holy Spirit's like a fire. Come in contact and it burns you. You'll become aware of what you did wrong. And you will feel guilty. And some people are surely going to say to me, Eric, I don't want to feel guilty. I want to go to church and feel good, not guilty. That's why the Holy Spirit is a fire. It's one touch and you're suddenly aware. So now what? That's exactly what happened on the first day of Pentecost. Peter preaches a sermon telling them about Jesus in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 36. Peter's preaching, let, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. The one that God promised for 4,000 years. And you rejected him. And you were shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. And suddenly, as Peter's speaking, they become aware of their guilt. And they cried out, oh no. What are we ever going to do? Suddenly they understood that they had been wrong. And the feeling of guilt they became aware of was the dreadful consequences of what they had done. Just exactly what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do to them. They feel the burn. 
And they cry out, what are we going to do now? Verse number 38, Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. There it is, my friends. Step number one, he died to forgive you. Repent, say to God, I'm sorry. He'll freely forgive you. And then Peter says, come and believe. Follow Jesus, be baptized. Say it publicly out loud that you will be a part of this group of people, this ecclesia, this church that Jesus is building. Verse 41 And they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Gladly they believed that message. Joyfully they received forgiveness. And listen to what they did. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and of prayers. There, my friends is Jesus building that church. On the first day that church was set in motion, it went from 120 to 3,120. That's a powerful thing. That's a rushing mighty wind. And it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. Remember, Jesus told Peter, as we looked at last week, feed my sheep, Peter. That's exactly what he did. He and the other apostles fed that flock and explained what Jesus had done. And then it says they continued in fellowship. That is, they became a part of that gathering together of people. Jesus' people joined together, being fed and growing together. The church is moving and in operation here. And it said they broke bread together. That is, they got together every day to share meals. And at the end of their meals, they always took a piece of bread and held it up and broke it. And said, look at this, look at this. This is my body broken for you. And then they took a cup together and they lifted it up and said, this is my blood shed for you. And they reveled in the forgiveness of God. They celebrated the death of Jesus and he had purchased their pardon and they had communion every day. And when then it says they prayed together, they said, let's thank God. Let's ask God for more. Let's ask God for more, more joy and more peace and more forgiveness. We come to verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. God answers their prayers. So it is when God's people meet, and they feed on God's word, and they celebrate his forgiveness, and they pray, and God answers their prayers. It's a wonderful thing to experience. God's people, the church, healthy and vibrant and alive. And you can say, I already believe. I've already asked for forgiveness. 
I'm already a follower of Christ. So is all that joy over for me now? No, no, my friends. Peter's going to preach another wonderful sermon. He adds a wonderful thing to his concluding remarks. The next chapter in Acts chapter 3, got the same situation in verse 13. He's preaching to the Israelites, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And you denied the Holy One, the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised up from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. There's the burning fire of the Holy Spirit again, touching the consciences of the people. But here's the conclusion, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. There's Peter's new addition to his sermon. There it is. A time of refreshing. The Holy Spirit has another job. That's to refresh you. Life will have its trials. Life will have its troubles. You may be dragged down. You may feel the stress of living in this world. You may feel the struggle of living in a human body. You may feel sad and downhearted as the troubles of life sometimes seem to overwhelm you. But he says, come. Come to the gathering of God's people. Come to the church and be fed. Come and pray and believe and join together with God's people and the promises that there shall be seasons of refreshing. The Holy Spirit will breathe new life and energy into your heart over and over again. That song will become a prayer. A prayer as you sing it, as we just sung, send refreshing, send refreshing. From thy presence, gracious Lord, send refreshing and revive us by thy word. Then you will find that there's another fire kindled in your heart. God's love will fill your heart. It'll kindle a flame of heavenly love. There's an old hymn we sang when I was a kid. God sent his mighty power to this poor sinful heart. Keep me every hour and needful grace in part. And since the Spirit came to take supreme control, the love and kindled flame is burning in my soul. It's burning in my soul, burning in my soul. The fire of heavenly love is burning in my soul. The Holy Spirit came, all glory to his name. The love and kindled flame is burning in my soul. So my friends, wind and fire. Wind. God is real. God comes with power. God comes like a rushing mighty wind into your life. And fire. You touch it and it burns. But you feel the forgiveness. The Holy Spirit sets your own soul on fire. The love of God, vast and overpowering like a rushing mighty wind, comes to you. You need refreshing. You need a new start. You need help. You need more. He will send times of refreshing to you. Where does it happen? 
Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Church will be a blessing, a place where I hope you can't wait to come. Come and be blessed. Come and be fed. Come and be loved. Come and feel the wind and the fire. May God bless you as you gather with his people. Shall we pray, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit power, for the wind and the fire. We ask that it would come over us. We'll know who God is. He'll change the way we think. and We'll eagerly come that we might receive what he has for us when we gather in his name. Help us, Lord, to know just what a priceless thing we have when we gather in Jesus' name. Bless us as we do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn books with me, if you will. Hymn number 145, standing as we sing. Hymn number 145, standing as we sing. Old time power. 145, old time power. Page 145. to us this day. Help us to draw near to you. Help us to feel your presence with us. The presence of power, the presence of love and forgiveness. We know that you will come heal our diseases. You will come into us and change who we are. 
We are thankful for that. We are thankful for this place where we can come and be fed. This place where we can come and feel your presence near to us. Not because of a special building, but because of your promise that you will be amongst us. That you will be in this gathering. And we just thank you for that and we pray that we would praise you and honor you. And have your spirit with us each and every time we meet here. Thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Protect us all. Bring us back safely to this place. Amen.